Thank you uh, very much. Um, <clears throat> one of the uh, delights of being a commentator is you can change your mind of what you're going to say just at the last minute, so uh, I might need to be prompt if I go over the time. I've been scribbling all the time that I've been hearing uh, these excellent presentations and there's much to respond to. Um, just to say something about who I am, as, as uh, Joe said, I'm a, uh, a lecturer in sociology, um, but I uh, have been for about 10 years, but for about 25 years I have been an, an activist in the NGO field, a uh, campaigner, um, uh, and being chair of Friends of the Earth Scotland is uh, part of that process. Uh, I'm also uh, an elected trade union official in the university and college union. So I, I regard myself not so much as an academic, as more of a campaigner who happens to be employed by a university. Um, uh, and I'm very much interested in that, in the kind of tradition of scholar activism, that the role that academics play in uh, uh, interacting with, with the campaigning community and, and, the, and the, the campaigners interact with, with, with academics to, uh, to facilitate change. So I'm very delighted to be part of uh, today. Um, also, uh, the other thing about me is that I've spent most of my uh, professional life in some form or other of uh, adult education and I'm very interested in the role that education and learning, informal education, non-formal education, the, the way that learning happens uh, particularly through protest, through campaigning and through, uh, through other things. Um, uh, one uh, anecdote I, I might uh, give uh, which was I was reminded by Annie Annie Cobden's uh, potatoes story, being uh, given potatoes because the uh, police hadn't come across, or the, 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 the law enforcement hadn't come across vegetarians before. Um, one of the things I've been involved in is, is the peace movement. Um, and uh, I remember the, f the first time uh, I was arrested at the gates of Faz Lane and I was taken away by the police and processed and put in a, in a cell and automatically given a vegan meal um, so the police have learned something through uh, arresting protesters at the uh, at Faz Lane. Um, one of the things that I think we've heard uh, a lot about in the three presentations is, is about innovation, innovative ways in which political change happens. Um, we've heard about how women denied access to the, uh, the, the official public um, uh, forms of political change uh, in most cases found other ways of, uh, of, of doing politics. Um, if if uh, you can't, if you're denied access to uh, government uh, bodies, you change politics by the menus of the children in school, and that, which is a tremendous uh, lesson, I think, for us uh, as campaigners now about the constant innovation and the constant learning of new ways to do things. We heard about how, how Chamberlain um, uh, innovated with, with, with democracy as the working class uh, obtained uh, a vote, so therefore he had access to uh, a voting bank that uh, were not concerned about keeping their, ra their rates low. Um, we've also heard uh, from Matthew about um, how trust is a, is a changing thing. The public put their trust in, in, in different institutions, different bodies, uh, and are constantly questioning, constantly learning new ways to do that. There's a, there's, there's a, 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 a very interesting um, story to be told uh, about that. Um, and um, 
one of the things that uh, uh, learned from the adult education is, is the distinction in, in participation terms um, between uh, what's sometimes called invited participation and invented participation. Invited participation is when uh, the powers that be invite people to participate in structures and so on, um, like, like a formal in, uh, uh, forms of democracy, um, which is important. It's, a, it's important, to, it has its place, um, and uh, uh, you know, democracy wouldn't be where it is uh, if, if it wasn't for that. But it means that certain power powerful groups uh, maintain control of the terms of that participation. Invented participation is where uh, people uh, demand uh, to, to, be, to, to their voices to be heard uh, through different ways. And that's, constantly that's the constantly innovative uh, area, I think, for, for campaigners to find new ways to invent participation. Uh, one of the um, fascinating uh, historical lessons in adult education, and I'm probably going to do something that all the historians, historians will hate me for, but anyway, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, in, the, um, in the 19th century, there was a movement for really useful knowledge, uh, which emerged, it wasn't, it wasn't even much of a movement, it, it emerged really because there was a philanthropic society which was for the promotion of useful knowledge and which was where the, the liberal bourgeoisie would set, would put up out of education classes and they would decide what it is that the, that the working class should learn about. And the, there was a radical working class uh, movement that wanted to set up its own adult education uh, movement. And, and, and they were saying, well, actually it's, it's up for the working class to decide what's useful knowledge for the working class, not up to the bourgeoisie to, to decide that. So they set up their alternative really useful knowledge. Now, the bit that historians won't like is that the way that um, that idea of really useful knowledge has been picked up since the 70s by adult educators. And it's, it's almost without necessarily going into a great deal of detail about what happened in the 19th century. Um, but it, it resonated. It said the idea that it is the, the poor who decide what they are learning, the, the, the disenfranchised that decide what they're learning, the, the women, the, 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 the slaves, etc., who are deciding what is useful knowledge to them. Now that resonated, it was, it was a historical myth, if you like, and a, in, in a positive sense, and I think that's an important thing to do. We, it's important to, to understand the nuances, the complexities of history, but there's also a way in which retelling the stories as myth-making, as storytelling, as discourse creating, actually resonates with the, with the um, movements of, of today. Um, the other thing that I was struck, uh, struck by is um, um, uh, the, the, the way in which the social movements that we've been hearing about um, are, are part of what uh, people like Lawrence Cox and Alf Nielsen have called social movement processes. There is a history to the social movements. And there's a, no a number of aspects they draw on, but one I particularly want to mention is that social movements from below are always fighting against social movements from above. Uh, the period of, that we're hearing and uh, hearing about um, uh, from Simon in the 19th century about the free market, ideologically driven government, uh, knowing about the extent of mortality but actually doing nothing about it, was for particular reasons because it wasn't just because they were ideological, it was because they had material interest in their favor. There was a social movement for, from above and the powerful elites 
do the same things as what campaigners do. They do it in different ways because they're powerful, but we're not constantly pushing against um, uh, uh, a, a kind of um, a blank slate that just needs to be filled in by the good people of the campaign. We're pushing against people who are actively fighting back, people who are actively trying to destroy the, uh, the environmental movement, actively trying to or incorporate the environmental movement into interests that, that will serve their benefit. So social movement from above happens just as much as a social movement from, from below. Um, um, I think that's, uh, that resonates, I think, to some extent with um, what Matthew said about are we looking for charitable solutions to what are actually systemic problems. Um, charitable solutions, if, if the NGO sector is not able to do any more than shift a few norms, make a few uh, innovations, it's, it's, um, uh, make a few legal changes or, or, or whatever, then it's, it's making progress but it's not challenging the fundamental underlying uh, uh, things that are causing the problem. As the Friends of the Earth International talks about, we want system change, not climate change. Um, so there's a put, the question that's raised by that, um, given that we are uh, movements from below, are fighting against movements from above, how do you actually bring about the kind of system change uh, that is, is, is required? Um, but I also want to uh, just talk about the, the fairly rapid change that occurred that Simon told us about uh, in Birmingham with under Chamberlain, that actually that there was quite a lot of changes that could, could be done quite quickly. Um, now, uh, I live in Scotland. Um, there have been some fairly rapid changes going on politically in Scotland uh, recently. Um, nobody would have expected until fairly recently that there could be a landslide from the, from the SNP uh, returning to Westminster. And the, the political uh, campaigning that has occurred since the referendum is, is remarkable. Um, the, but what's interesting, and it's sort of interesting to, to, to speak to Matthew about this, is people haven't generally joined existing NGOs, people have joined political parties, like in the old days. Yeah? So this trend of reducing uh, uh, membership of political parties, it, it doesn't seem to be happening in the, just in the past year in Scotland. The membership of the Scottish National Party is, has more than doubled. The membership of the Scottish Green Party has gone up eightfold since before the referendum. These are quite uh, remarkable times uh, and change can happen. Uh, very, now, it's not a systemic change, but there are, there are interesting things happening. And I just want to fi f um, finish on, uh, on one, one, uh, one point, which is about the sort of um, civil society. Matthew talked about civil society, and, and, and Sarah talked about uh, what was going on underneath the civil society, if you like. And uh, uh, some of the... Uh, uh, um, sociologists working in, in civil society, in, particularly in the Global South, are talking about the, uh, the growth of uncivil society, the growth of uh, a way in which civil society is being divided. There, there are good campaigners who uh, do polite campaigning, and you, you know, so long as they are policed uh, correctly then, then, and nothing changes, that's absolutely fine. And then there are the bad campaigners that actually really want to change things, and they're being progressively made illegal. They are, the, the kinds of protests that they are doing are being uh, policed out of existence. So um, 
That's uh, the criminalization of protest. So I think that that's uh, another aspect which is perhaps a complicated part of when we look at civil, so civil society and the NGO sector. To what extent is it incorporated and to what extent is there potential for this innovative, uncivil society bubbling underneath? Thanks very much.